This is the Church Planning Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Every week we sit down with leaders who are shaping church planning efforts. Here's your host, Colby Garman and Clint Clifton. Hey there, welcome to the Church Planning Podcast. I'm Clint Clifton, and I'm with Colby Garman. Good afternoon, everyone. Yes, I guess yes. I shouldn't say things about time. It's afternoon yeah. where we're at. I'm sure all the listeners, it's afternoon yeah, for them. That's right. Yes. Um, Troy Nesbitt is who we're going to talk to today. Yeah. Troy. Fun conversation. Yeah. Troy's a, Troy's a really high-functioning fellow. Yeah. I, you know, it just reminds me of the goodness of you know, walking in the same direction for a long time long, long time. in our yeah. conversation with him and in the, the times I've been around him, I've just been like, I just want to keep walking mm-hmm. straight and uh, know as much as he mm-hmm. does about the nuts and bolts and kind of the underpinnings. I mean, he just, he's just got a lot of wisdom yeah. about church planting and I really admire the work that he's done. And it's, yeah. it's, it's fun to talk to him. You know, one thing about the church planting podcast is we are not, uh, we don't discriminate on the basis of numbers of talents that you have um, in, in term in biblical terms. We, we interview two talent guys yeah. and we uh, interview 10 talent guys yeah. and we in fact may be two talent guys. Yeah. I see myself more in the two talent. You know, we're on the, we're sure. in the lower end of, yeah. Uh, so Troy, though, is, Troy is a 10 talent guy. 10, I mean, he's the like, Lord is giving he's, them 10 talents he's up there. He's, yeah. He's using them to the max. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to be really helped by this, but we do have some experience on a two talent level with it playing in the sandbox that he plays in. Yeah. And that sandbox is what? It's, um, developing a network yeah. beyond just planning a church, developing a network of church plants. That's right. Yeah. So you can go, I mean, now it's not cool to call anything a network. We call them families yeah. and yeah. consortiums. So amazing how fast collectives, collectives. collectives that's where we are right now. Yeah. Yes. But we're all talking about the same thing. A group of churches that are purposefully related more tightly, yeah. you know, strategically to accomplish something yeah. together. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just an idea. It's a very real thing. Yeah. Like our family, we, we think of it as family. Yeah. I mean, we got caught in the that. The Praetorian now. Project. Ours is a project. Ours is a project. Yeah. And but it's really. A fam- we define it as a, a family of yeah. churches. Yeah. And it's a. Ours is a, the reason why I would argue ours is a family and most others are not is, well, Troy's maybe, uh, Troy's is, but he used the exact same language yeah, he did. we used, um, is because our family, so to speak, is we give birth to all the children, you know? Yeah. And, um, most families of churches are just, um, churches that in, you know, for whatever reason, yeah, they relate join to one the another. organization yeah. to link up with one another. Yeah. yeah. Think of, which a- is much acts. more of a network. Like these things were going on and somebody drew the strings. Yeah. We've been like in the Praetorian project, we give birth to all mm-hmm. of the churches through yeah. the project. Yeah. We were yeah. one church that became two, that became three, that became four, that right. became six, that became 12. That, yeah. You know, uh, that's how, that's how the process worked. And so it, in that way, there is a family tree that can be drawn, right. you know, instead of just like a source where every, everybody goes to, you know, put in man, pop out church planter who creates yeah. church, you know, yeah. it doesn't quite work like that. Um, and starting and maintaining and 
you know, whatever creating a real cooperation and network is mm-hmm. not as easy as it looks. It is. It is not as easy. And we're as not experts at it. We've been trying to figure it out. And with our other guys, like they're all part, we've all kind of been building this uh, network, so to speak together. Yeah. And what do you think? Like for the, for there's lots of aspiring church planters who want to do something like that. Yeah. I would say almost a hundred percent. Yeah. What, um, what are some of the questions you have to answer and deal with? if you're going to do it at least well or mm-hmm. think well about it the the most imp- maybe the most pressing answer is how how tightly is this group of people going to relate to one another yeah. or to what extent are we a franchise so right. to speak right. um do we expect that what's if you the level were, of similarity you're going to yeah. expect and require from one another exactly yeah. and that's the greatest point of contention uh because um, when you when when you are truly a family and you plant a church, then the mother often expects that the child will be just like them and love everything right. about them. Right. But as you know, if you're an actual parent, not always true. There's a family resemblance, but they want to chart their own. path. They do want to chart their own path and do. And that's been thing. my experience, and and I think all of our guys would agree. Yeah, like that. We we have this sort of family resemblance, but there's there's been this tension always between. Like we kind of, I mean, to mm-hmm. some degree we were there at, you know, starting this idea. Yeah. We imagined a level of similarity that I think was tighter than even we're at now. Is that, I fair? think so. Yeah, no, I definitely did. Yeah. And I, I, again, the, in the same way that I imagined my t- children always obeying me when I, when I, <laughs> right. when I set out to have them yeah. or always wanting the same things I want or being interested in the things I'm interested in. And yeah. I was, I was shocked when my son came out loving football, you know, and, uh, you know, as a, it was manifesting at three and four (laughs) years old. And I'm like, you know, I never watched a full football game in my whole life. And so just really shocked at like, wait, something's broken here. You're supposed to like guitars and, and, you know, and and trying to fix (laughs) that. Yeah. The same thing is true (laughs) in in the churches we relate to. And it's like, how do we continue to be, have a meaningful partnership relationship in the gospel with one another and yet uh, not going to agree on all these things yeah for for the for somebody who's at the beginning of this phase mm-hmm. one of the reasons that's the case is because the kind of people who like to start new things are also the kind of people who don't want to be put in a square box Kobe as always brilliant observation you, the listen if you did not hear what Kobe said rewind 15 seconds <laughs> and listen to that again the the best church planters you will work with, the most fruitful church planters you will work with, all the guys you will want on your team right. will not play by your rules. Right. And if they play by your rules, we we have a name for those guys. They're called campus pastors. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so, yeah. And, and they, they never raised their hand. Yeah. Honestly. And, yeah. That no. guy didn't raise his hand to come do what you are trying to do. So right. it's sort of like. That's not a thing. Yeah. It's like the difference in being a mother or an au pair, you know, it's, it's very different. It's a very different experience. I can clock out, I can go home, I can quit, I can do, you know, uh, this is, this is a huge, huge distinction. You have to decide, you know, how you're going to relate to, to your guys, uh, the guys you work with in this regard. Yeah. And I mean, you can trust the Lord. He often does something better Mm -hmm. with, managing that tension similar to families like i'm glad my kids are not what 
I had in mind. Yeah. You know. They're, yeah. They're they're in they're a sense the they're better. Yeah. Uh, but they're also you know if I'm not thinking about that if I'm not being mature about right. it I'm a little frustrated that they're not playing by my my yeah. rules. Yeah. Fulfilling we, your vision. Yeah. My vision <laughs> for what my family should become. Yeah. And I think a lot of our disappointments in life. Matthew Henry says. Um, he says our uh, all our expectations and disappointments in life are related to the promises we make to ourselves you yeah. know and <laughs> i love the way he says that like yeah, yes good. i just made myself a promise when i was 16 and i'm still frustrated that it hasn't come about yeah. you know why did i promise myself that i couldn't right. i had no control you can go back that. and think about that usually we're just stay frustrated yeah you just stay frustrated all the time and so uh, you know I, I when i'm interacting with couples you know it's the the husband had this expectation his wife was going to be like this and then she didn't become like that. And then the, the parents and children, it's just that it, this is all of life, like expectation management, but it's particularly relatable in, in church planning networks. What other uh, questions do you think uh, someone at the beginning of a network process maybe doesn't realize they're going to encounter or mm-hmm. needs to think well about? Well, um, I don't know if this is a press a question or a process more, but the, one of the things I didn't quite realize is I think ideally in your mind, you think, well, what if something goes wrong in the network? Well, we'll yeah. just fix it. Right. You know, it, it doesn't actually work like that because you have a lot of, um, it, when the network gets to a point where there's some maturity, you know, the churches are mature. Those churches are autonomous probably. Yeah. Um, if you're a family if of a churches, Baptist if you're, <laughs> if it's a Baptist thing. Um, so the, there's some measure of authority that they have that in, in, and you don't really have much, right. uh, if it's related, if it, if your relationship is like that, but even if it's not like that, even if there is authority, they still have the influence because they're in front of the congregation. Right. So there's all the, it's, it's kind of like an algorithm, you know, it's like, it's complicated because, um, yes, I could, I could pin this relationship with this church planner to the wall and try to have him act the way I want him to act. I could be sort of hard on him, uh, but he still has the influence over the congregation. So it doesn't really matter what I do. I might explode the church or tear the church up. And none none of us got into this to want to do that. We want to build churches, not tear them apart. Right. Yeah. I remember like at the beginning we were wrestling as good Baptists would with autonomy and Mm -hmm. similarity and at the, ask the question, do we want to use do we want to build an authority structure or an influence structure yeah. to sort of get the job done of similarity? Yeah. So our, I mean, we had similarity out there as a high goal. And so we were trying to figure out how do you get that? And it was like, there seems to be two ways, you know, we can, we can sort of put all these requirements and almost like threats and rules and, you know, structures, or we can bring people in and grow together in a way where we sort of co-influence one another so that the thing that comes out is something we're all proud of. Right. And, um, and we, we really have tried to go that route. Yeah. Interdependent is a word we, we've used a lot and, you know, uh, authority, uh, it's been said is like soap, the more you use, the less you have. And, right. but influence is sort of over time it builds. And yeah. so, uh, we, I want to keep, I want to work with my children in real life and with the, the relationships with other pastors and church planners to retain a respected, uh, respectful relationship with them right. and a mutual trust with one another, uh, because I don't want to coerce them into cooperation. I want them to want to cooperate. I want them to find value in relating together. And I want them to know that if they have a genuine aspiration to spread the gospel, that they're going to be more fruitful at that 
in partnership with with us yeah. then they're going to be apart from it. Yeah. Yeah. And so set, instead of setting out to f- start a network, set out to be truly that, I think, and a network, you know, will yeah. naturally form around that. Mm, that's good. Uh, a t- I, an- another thing that just seems important to say is notoriously there's a few things that are like notoriously true in, in missiology and church planting in North America right now. One of them is mergers don't work. So just hear me now. Mergers <laughs> don't work. Okay. The second one is networks always fall apart. Hmm. I mean, they, I, it, <laughs> I want to work against it. It's kind of like saying your church is definitely going to die. You know, like, yeah, well, it's, it's going to so die. It's made up of centers. It'll, it, maybe it'll make it 200 years, 250 years, who knows, but it's probably going to see its end, you know, unless Jesus comes back in the midst of it, you know? Well, similar to churches, they almost recapitulate mm-hmm. like the, the, you sort of go through phases that it's this and then, you know, it has almost like a rebirth, mm-hmm. and, you know, so some of the ones that last longer, and uh, and have a prolonged influence, like if I just take the example X twenty nine, it's kind mm-hmm. of had a couple different phases. You yeah, know? yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and you know, each phase had its own value. Yeah, and and you know, I love the things going on in X twenty nine right now. Yeah, it's really cool to to observe. We're not even a part of it right. as a church, but it's been been cool to see them kind yeah. of remake what it is yeah. in the last several years and, and there's good. there's a resiliency this is off topic but there's a resiliency that comes to a network when um when it when it has been around long enough and it is broad enough and it has maybe even assets that kind of stabilize it mm. i love to think of this like like um plywood you know the layers on plywood every you know if you look at a piece of three quarter inch plywood it's got it's got a you right. know five six seven layers in it and that every layer makes it stronger and the grains go different directions and it's, it's the same thing with with uh, a network like when you have a couple of dudes together you're, you're just a one ply you know right. yeah. <laughs> you're very thin it's likely yeah. to fall apart and so yeah. you got to get that thing built up it's got to have you know a bunch of dudes going different directions facing different things there's a lot of p- partners and supporters and maybe even some assets associated with it and all those things add layers and strengthen it and and make it more likely that that people will do what it takes to rescue if it starts to fall off the side of the ship you know yeah yeah and and i love what you said kind of to come back to the beginning it's if you aim yourself at producing church planting and sending church planters Mm -hmm. and relating together relationally and just loving the people that you send and helping them love one another yeah then you end up with something Mm -hmm. like that and it's okay if that if somewhere down the line other spinoffs of that happen. And yeah. I think so. I think what we yeah. do is try to control yeah. organic life too much sometimes, right. and like, oh, we got to keep expanding this network or doing this. Like, man, things are going to happen. Yep. Embrace kind of the kingdom chaos of it, yeah. and trust that the Lord's probably doing something through that. Absolutely, that's and a great that's a great so. word. I I absolutely love the guys that we have mm-hmm. uh, done uh, church planting with that we've multiplied with. Um, I think of. Jonathan Ransom and Roy Garza and uh, Brian O'Day and those individuals and so so many others Ben Ben Palka and just all the guys we've worked with they're just like so near and dear to me but the truth is they've got you know they're going to do whatever they do before the Lord and I want to continue to relate to them in whatever way I'm I'm permitted to do that and and yeah um, I don't want to break relationship over you know frustration over them not kind of playing by my rules so Yeah. yeah yeah All right, well, we talked a little longer than we should have, but we're going to go on into this conversation with Troy Nisbet. Hey, church planters, your calling is to plant a church, but churches are also a business. Auxilio partners with you to provide one-time and ongoing business services, enabling you to stay focused on mission. 
Visit Auxilio Partners to learn more about the finances, HR, and legal compliance services offered and schedule a free consultation. That's A-U-X-I-L-I-O dot partners. Mention the Church Planting Podcast to receive a 20% discount. Well, it's awesome today to have Troy Nesbitt with us. Uh, he leads Salt Network, and we're going to introduce you a little bit to it. For some of the people that are uh, with us today who aren't familiar with what you've been doing with Salt Network, could you kind of help us, Troy, just uh, introduce us a little bit to the work that you guys are doing? Sure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you guys today, for sure. And uh Salt Network has its origins in Salt Company, which has its uh, beginnings in Baptist Campus Ministries at Iowa State University back in 1972. A man sent from uh, Oklahoma by Max Barnett, one of the patriarchs of student ministry and Baptist life. Uh, Jack came to Iowa State to start a Baptist student union. And then uh, in 1985, that ministry uh, existed at Iowa State, and it was the first ministry job that I got out of Bible school, being the freshman director of the Baptist Student Union. Hmm. Um, and so, began to study the Bible and actually uh, saw the value of the local church. So, really didn't want to lead a denominational parachurch ministry, and so wanted to be more of a church-based campus ministry, seeing disciples being most fully discipled in the context of multi-generational local church. So we, in 1987, when I became the director of uh, the Baptist Student Union, actually uh, let another church host the Baptist Student Union, and we changed the name to the Salt Company and became a church-based student ministry. And that ministry, the Salt Company, outgrew the local church that was housing us. And so there was pressures between the local church and the student ministry. And so we thought that church had never started a church. We didn't want to split the church because my dad was a senior pastor there. And so <laughs> we actually uh, had a conversation. I said, dad, how about we just plant a church uh, that strategically focuses on reaching university students in the next generation? He said, that's a great idea. So in 1994, we started Cornerstone Church of Ames, and that church has become now um, a network of churches that are partnering together to reach university students all across North America. And now we have a desire, a dream, to see a, a church-based uh, student ministry on every major campus in North America. And so that's, that's how we started. So 1994, the Ames Church, and then our first plant at Iowa University was in 2010. And since that time, we've planted a number of other churches in a number of other states and hope to do it everywhere. I know we I know we don't often like to you know talk about numbers and uh, overly emphasize those things, but uh, how many sort of how many salt network or how many salt companies and churches have been started since 1994 when you guys made that decision and made that shift? Yeah, so we now have uh, 18 churches, and some of our churches are in uh, metropolitan areas where they have uh, two campuses approximate to them, and so we have 20 salt companies, uh, and uh, next year we're intending to plant two more churches and two more salt companies with a vision of doing three more um, 
in the in the following year. So this year, actually 2021, and then next year 2022. So uh, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. And in a little bit uh, of kind of what I want to draw out of uh, what you were saying there, the decision to start uh, Cornerstone uh, was, in in a sense, was tied up in this vision to be a church that was really cared about student ministry and um and when that happened you were leading the campus ministry right and and then did you become the church planner how did you guys go about uh making that transition and figuring those sort of things out well we had grown uh the student ministry had grown to over uh 200 college students and uh, was pressing toward you know the 300 mark and so we had multiple staff and so the strategy of the church was actually just to entrust the student ministry to us and the staff that led that and so myself and two other men uh, became the founding pastors of cornerstone church and basically for the first number of years we were a church of 75 percent or more college students and then in 1999 actually we acquired our first uh, property and built a facility. And that's when the city said, hey, this is not just a church for college students. They're actually wanting to reach the the community as well. And so that was a that was a big shift for us. But it was the three of us who were staff and then we hired some more college staff. But I primarily focused all my efforts on having a church uh, in the community that would care about college students because the natural drift of churches is to get away from the campus because students, as you know, don't pay the bills. And so if you want to have a viable church, someone has to pay the bills and it's generally not going to be your college students who do that. So, uh, it it kind of makes me think a little bit about some of the things that we've learned in our work. We're in a military community with with a lot of turnover, and I think that there's a sense of uh, a sense of reality here with a lot of people, a lot of pastors particularly, that military families can't be depended on to sort of stabilize the church, and so. Most of the time, churches lean away from the military community, and it takes a conscious effort and decision to uh, to lean into a group of people that's going to introduce instability to the life of the church. And I would say also the the military community um, picks up on those subtleties, and they they willingly play along with that role. So they'll come into a church and be relatively passive, not get super involved. And um, because they're used to churches kind of relating to them in that way as they go from place to place, especially if they're like mid-career or later in their career, they've done this routine. They understand how it works. They know they're not going to become leaders. They know they're just going to be there for a little while. And so they just kind of play their role while they're there. They show up on Sunday mornings. Uh, and um, and so it's it's been something that, you know, for us, we've said, man, how do we flip the script on that and actually communicate to, to military service members when they come in that we really want them to be engaged and involved. And it, uh, one of the things that I've seen about SALT from a distance is that, man, your, your guys that are involved in it are totally bought in. <laughs> so, I mean, they have drunk the Kool-Aid big time. So uh, tell me, tell me about the culture of SALT Company a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, Clint, as you're saying, um, students come to Ames to leave. And so what I think churches have failed to see 
is that if they have a passion to plant churches, the most difficult thing that they have to do is get the goers. And so if you're targeting a group of people who are planning on leaving anyway, it's often easier just to redirect where they go to. And so we have actually created a pipeline of college students recognizing that they're leaving anyway, trying to motivate them to be a part of church planting either nationally or globally. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, I mean, you know that your guys are going to go somewhere. And so there's a handful of places where they will likely go. And if you guys could plant a church in all of those places, it's almost as though you get to send them to that place. Or if they go to a place where you haven't gone yet, then you have an opportunity to plant a church in that place. It's like what, what you guys do reaching the military. And so that's, I mean, there the little difference. We have 403 major universities in North America, and yeah. then we have global cities literally all over the world where we can plant churches using college students as our primary goers. And they're not the, they're not the only goers, but they're our primary goers because they're the most transient anyway. And they're at that, yeah stage in their life where uh, they want to be used of God. You know, major movements of God had always taken place on the backs of university students. And so if you give them a vision to do that, like you say, they, they really buy in. And so after four years of seeing a college student move from death to life or from the first time he's ever been discipled to being passionate about the value of the local church. And when he graduates, now he's not just looking to get a job. He's looking to get a job where we're planting a church or where we have already planted a church. And so often in these uh, areas that are adjacent to the university, major metropolitan areas where students get jobs, they actually go there to help us plant a church as well. And so they're pretty excited to have that two-pronged reality in their life. So, yeah. I think I think a lot of times, almost in every community, there's some kind of population that's more transient than others that we're tempted to lean away from. But counterintuitively, that's like where the mission really launches from. And if you lean in, it it also has these really good benefits for the local church as well. And I wonder if maybe you would speak to a little bit like uh, for for Cornerstone, what would have been the benefits to the church as a whole of being of embracing uh this kind of sort of ministry and culture within the church? Yeah, I, I think that the emerging generation, as, as we call it, um, is energizing to the entire church. And once you have set that vision in your DNA, uh, the, our older community really embraces it. In fact, uh, several years into Cornerstone, after we got a building, we began to have the uh, complaining of the older generation saying, Hey, you know, where are the songs that we used to sing that we were most familiar with and where are the things that, uh, you know, we used to do. And we actually had a meeting that was pretty uh, infamous meeting in the life of our church where we gathered all of the members of our church, 50 years and older, and basically just said to them, if you want to be a part of a church that exists to reach you, then, Uh, we would invite you to go to a different church because this church is always going to be about reaching the next generation. And Mm -hmm. we ended up losing one couple from our church when we were that direct with them Mm -hmm. about the vision. 
And I always say kind of tongue in cheek and we were happy to lose them. <laughs> you know, so, so vision leaks. And so you just keep having to press that vision uh, forward. As you guys know, as you send people and plant churches, people get wearied by sending. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to continue to be energized, to love people that leave. Yeah. And so we try to celebrate what God is doing in our churches and not just what God is doing in our church. So people are excited about the mission and the movement of God. And uh, it's, it's just a constant, you know, uh, drip, drip, drip. We're about reaching the next generation, reaching the next generation, getting excited about the freshmen, um, always, always reaching. But at the same time, we've worked hard at reaching our community so that we do have a stable base um, yeah. to, send, to send from. And uh, I, I don't know how you guys do it uh, with your church plants, but we used to have a term called planting pregnant. You guys have talked about having a multiplying. And uh, once again, we're sometimes too crass in the way that we say things. But if you get married because you're pregnant, it's because you've been sinning, not doing it God's <laughs> way, right? Yeah. And so we've stopped talking about that because all of our planters go out eager to plant another church, but they don't uh, realize how hard it is to plant a healthy church. And yeah. so we now have stages of planting. We say, hey, plant a healthy church. Let that church become uh, healthy and established. And then we'll resource you at every stage then to help you become a sending church. And so in our network of 18 churches, we now have five what we categorize as sending churches. Okay. And I think North American Mission Board would call them multiplying churches. And so um, those churches, the first stage of a sending church is to, to plant. Okay, so when they're ready to plant a church, they become a sending church. And we yeah. require them to, you know, fund that and send staff and resource that. But then if you're willing to plant every three years. And then once you plant every three years, we try to move you to every other year. And then our goal is to get all of our churches to be at a place where they would plant a church a year. And so that's pretty ambitious. Um, and you have to have a lot of resources to be able to do that. But every other year is more attainable. And every third year is yeah. even more attainable than that. And so you asked the question about how do we put that into vision well, all of our churches are aspiring to be sending churches. And so yeah. if you're a church plant, you want to get healthy and established. If you're healthy and established, you want to get to a place where you're sending, which begins with your first church plant. And then, you know, you begin to cycle into that three year or two year or every yeah. year cycle. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so Troy, a, a, a balancing that idea, though. I think some guys could hear that and say, okay, I need to put the brakes on the church planting thought talks process as I'm planting this, this church or getting this church established. I need to think about nothing but growing this church and, and establishing it. I, I suspect that's not what you're saying. I, I suspect there's some, some daily activities that they can do that will set them up properly for multiplication as they work to, to strengthen the foundation and, and, grow roots into the church. Tell us about those. Yeah. So, so we have in our pipeline, Clint, and that's a great question. 
because we strategically go after university students in all of our church plans, we are strategically training up the next generation leaders and church planters. And so we desire all of our lead pastors and uh, most of our staff to cut their ministry teeth, so to speak, doing student ministry. And there comes a time when you, uh, we call them, you began to get a little bit creepy on campus. <laughs> you know, you reach an age where uh, you're no longer as relevant on the college campus. And when that happens, that's when we start looking to guys uh, to plant these churches. And in all of our churches, all of our uh, student staff, since they're not parachurch guys, they're not looking just to prolificate the parachurch. It is a, it's just a healthy pipeline where as they mature in ministry under the leadership of the community pastor, they, it's only a matter of time until they say, hey, I, they raise their hand and say, I'm ready to plant a church. And so our system pipeline kind of self perpetuates in that our campus ministry directors, our assault company directors, almost all become lead pastors or pastors on our community side. And so as we are uh, creating salt company in all of our churches, that is the place where planters are emerging. And so it's just an ongoing pipeline that we have so that whenever our sending churches are getting ready to uh, plant another church, we can look around the 18 salt companies, now 20 salt companies and say, okay, is there a guy who's ready to plant yeah. and then put him in one of our healthier churches. And then that church actually gets their first sending of a planter to a healthy context to go to the next place. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, it's it, kind of what I hear you saying is the, the way the church is planted, it's already built into the development. It's built right into the system yeah. because what, what we talk about is, is, like there's there are other models and they're great they're they're great we want every church planting model to thrive, but there are some churches that actually plant churches of college students. Okay, yeah. so they go to a campus, and they actually uh, take the pair church model, um, call it a church, and I would call it an immature church where they you know actually baptize, do communion, those kind of things. They generally meet on Sundays. And it's just a church of college students. And so they're doing that from place to place to place. And God bless them. That's great. What we do is we plant not only that, but we plant a community church because that's the stabilizing force yeah. to be able to fund that campus ministry. And so when all of our guys have cut their teeth on doing student ministry, they can coach these guys that are reaching their campus, but now they're learning to reach the community. And that's, that's becomes their uh, pipeline, so to speak, because here's the other thing. You send your teaching pastor on a church plant, everybody in your church is mad at you. Right. You send your college ministry director, they're tickled, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and so, so because you can replace that guy because all the people that he's pastoring primarily, they're going to go with him anyway, or they're, they're only going to be there for a short period of time. Yeah. And so it doesn't, even though it cuts your church, it, it doesn't take what the church believes to be vital organs, you know? And so you can have your community pastors 
who are long-termers, you know, fan franchise pastors in your church, and you can keep sending your college pastors as they grow and emerge in a way that the church continues to bless those guys and wants them to go plant the next place, the next place. Hmm. Man, that's great. Um, you know, so along the way you were, you know, at one point you're, you know, you've got Cornerstone and, uh, Salt Company there at Iowa State and you make the, you make some sort of shift or decision to expand that. And that's, that's kind of a costly decision to some degree, I think for a local church, um, you know, you probably even as a leader had to shift to focus your energy on this larger network, Talk to us about that decision and what sort of leadership decisions you had to make as a person to, to see something bigger than just a one location happen. Yeah. Um, people uh, say about me, Colby, that um, I fixate with ADD. Um, so in other words, I do one thing at a time generally, and I try to do it really hard. And so leading a church the size of Cornerstone and trying to lead church planting was not something I knew I was going to be able to do. And there was actually our salt company director at the time was the one who God used to get me thinking a little bit differently. He asked me two questions. Uh, The first was, he said, Troy, he said, how old is too old to be the lead pastor of a next generation church? And I mean, he wasn't, he, he really had an honest question. I was 49 at the time, and uh, he had heard me say that pastors do a great job of reaching a generation either side of themselves. Really good pastors can get two generations. Uh, Almost no pastors are able to be relevant in three generations, either side of themselves. And so if we want to reach college students, 18 and 22-year-olds is what we're going after, Uh, you're in the third generation at 50, right? Mm. And so he legitimately had the question, well, I'd never thought about it. Even though I said it, um, I wasn't applying it. (laughs) You were saying it to other people. (laughs) This is for others. Yeah. But then then he said to me a second question. He said, said, Troy, he said, when you were my age, how did you think about pastors your age? And it was, once again, just a really honest question asking me to see from the perspective that I had rather than the perspective that I currently had. You know, in other mm-hmm. words, can you yeah. remember back what it was like? And it was a gut kick and because I could. I could remember serving in my dad's church, uh, always feeling under the weight of what was rather than the vision of what could be in the next generation. And so I began to look for someone who uh, would, I could transition the leadership of Cornerstone to so that I could actually no longer be the leader of a church, but actually the leader of church planters. And so uh, in uh, 2016, um, I resigned as lead pastor of Cornerstone Church, and we began the transition to now who is my boss, Mark Vance, who is, um, he's 20 years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And so I give my full time to, I'm still a pastor here at Cornerstone Church, uh, 
um, teach significantly less, but my primary role is giving leadership to our church planting system and our church plants that we send from Cornerstone Church of Ames. What, to talk about a couple of things you've learned uh, in that process, you know, about thinking about other people who maybe would make a transition like that or think through. We went through, a, at a, for, sim, for different reasons, we went through a shift here at Pillar 10 years ago uh, where I stepped into a role probably more like Mark's and Clint stepped into a role more like yours. And, uh, and we learned some things along the way about that. What are some things people need to know? Yeah, I, I would say that that anything you want to do, you have to resource it. And so, you know, if you want to reach college students and yet you don't have any staff to reach college students, you're probably not going to get that done. And in the same way, if you want to plant churches and train planters, you need to have resources that are set aside to do that. And so uh, we, we, uh, we believe that the reason the church sent Barnabas and Paul was not because they weren't their best, but it was because they were their best. And so we want to give our best leaders to do the best things. And so we press hard to give ourselves to investing in our church planters. We have a system that we fully fund. Uh, we bring in planters uh, from the outside to not only raise up guys on the inside who believe in the vision and send them out. And so I would say, if you look at your church's budget, you kind of can see where your, where your values are. Mm. And if you look at your staff team, you can kind of see where your values are. And so I would say, man, if this is something that you really want, you have to uh, share it with your church and then you have to fund it and you have to staff it. And then you have to hold those guys accountable uh, to doing to doing that job as a part of your church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy, go back to um, the conversation about the church planter who's planting a church but has aspirations to multiply and network. Um, that that guy and his daily activities and the things that he's spending his time on day to day. Now, I know from what you already said that it's important for him to put a, a a lot of his focus on stabilizing the church, but other, other than, um, you know, it's kind of, I, I see a gap between like plant the church, stabilize the church and then start, you know, start this network that's going to have, you know, where it's going to have full-time dedicated staff and budget for it. So what, what's that in between period look like? Because I, I feel like that's where most of the guys are going to be living, trying to figure out how to make that transition. That's going to be years before they're at the place where they're ready to pull the trigger on a decision like that. Yeah, and and I would say uh, there's a there is just a DNA of church planting that you need to have in the beginning, and it is um, a vineyard you need to tend. And the way that we do that is you you don't have a network if you don't have relationships, and that's all a network is. It's mm. a it's relationships that you foster. And so for us, uh, we do have a national director of salt company now who, even though he doesn't have authority over all of the directors, he does have responsibility to keep them relationally connected. Mm -hmm. And so they have a weekly call. Um, We have annual training for all of our uh, salt company staff. 
We have an annual conference that is a church planting conference where we let them know where our next church plants are going to be. And then the same thing is true for all of our lead pastors. So we would have uh, a, a bi-weekly call. So every other week we get all of our lead pastors together on a call. Uh, we break them into Zoom rooms so that they're able to build relationships with each other. Uh, we do have an annual pastor's conference and then we have opportunities uh, for them to be together outside that and so the more family that you can build within your system the more culture you can build within your system the more it becomes a part of who everybody is mm -hmm. and so you talk about drinking the kool-aid we're in iowa and so you know we say uh, we have a family smell that we hope is good yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and but the way that you you begin to talk like each other and you begin to think like each other is just a matter of making sure that you get time with each other doing things together which creates that momentum and and push forward and so all the movements that we have observed historically there have been rhythms of gathering, um, going, relational realities. And so we yeah. try to put all of that into our system. Does, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it does. What are, if you were just, uh, when a guy comes up to you who's planted a church and he's a few years into it and he's starting to multiply and he, and he asks for advice, what, what's your go-to advice for a guy in that situation? Um, is someone inside our uh, system or someone yeah, who sure uh, uh, i mean i was really thinking of somebody outside uh but either way yeah uh well well you guys know this as pillar you guys have planted multiple cho uh, churches it it takes a lot of resources to plant churches and then what happens you know when you get one that's really struggling not going well do you let it die <laughs> and so so when a church is ready to plant a church, they're going to want to have other churches that are participating with that. Uh, for years, we used to say churches plant churches, denominations don't plant churches. And what that generally meant is church, a church funded a planter. And what we have begun to say is, no, healthy families plant churches, healthy church families plant churches. And so if a guy is ready to uh, plant a church, he needs to make sure he's connected to a network of other churches. And that relational uh, context is really important. And then the other thing that we say is most church planters have a vision of the kind of church they want to plant. And it's not the kind of church that's planting them. Mm -hmm. And what we have discovered is people tend to practice what they experience, whether their experience is good or bad. And so if you have a bad experience, but you want to plant a good church, you, you generally have a chip on your shoulder and you're, you're doing something often more negative than positive. Mm. Whereas if you actually train in a place like the place you want to plant, you have a, the best possible uh, opportunity to plant that church in another place because 
I can teach you, I can show you all the books that we go through with all our planters and you've read many of them, but it's not the weekly two hours that I spend with those guys that really makes a difference. It's actually living in the system. And so when they leave here, they want to reproduce that system. It's just second nature. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Well, that's yeah. been our experience too. We, I, I, the way I voice that is by saying like, you know, people default default to what they know. And um, so when you get out there and ministry gets hard and difficult and you don't quite know what to do, you just go back to the patterns, you know, naturally that you've, you've yeah. been a part of. And so, yeah, and I, I agree. There's a, there's a, well, even mar- just even in training people, like I, I actually can't train you to do what I know. Like I, I it, you almost just have to, and we've always felt like you almost just have to come along for the ride for a while because I'm not going to, if you ask me, Hey, help me become a better pastor, help me prepare to church, to plant a church. I'm going to tell you a bunch of things, but you're not going to see a bunch of the sort of kind of the, the culture and texture of ministry that's there. That is so important to reproduce. Yeah, and, true. and so a lot of times guys are like, well, what will the residency look like? What are we going to do? And I was like, well, in one sense, I just need you here soaking this in. Yeah. So we, we use uh, the acrostic we got from IMB mall uh, model assist watch leave. And we just say to guys, that's kind of the bulk of what you're going to do is you're going to watch us do stuff. Uh, and then uh, and then you're going to assist us as we do it. And then we're going to assist you. And then you're going to uh, we're going to watch you and then we're going to leave and you're going to be doing it by yourself. So uh, and and that's. Uh, honestly, that's the best kind of training. And if you, it, it's funny, uh, you know, for the last year or so, I've been uh, working with, with uh, starting residencies uh, for the North American Mission Board, you know, helping them start that initiative. And the one thing that has been sort of frustrating about that is I, when you say the word residency, people conjure up these images of guys sitting around a table and uh, opening, you know, going through a book together. And I just say like, man, that is, that is like, that's 10% of it. Yes. But the, the real thing that makes a residency great is a pastor pours his life into some guys who want to be pastors and he gets, they get to see everything about his life and the way he relates to his family and the way he balances his time and the way he studies the word and the way he prioritizes uh, ministry engagements and all that stuff. And so it's really difficult to, to get that stuff conveyed sitting around a table with some books. And especially if there's more than two or three dudes around the table, you know? And that's a biblical pattern too. I mean, Jesus, no better minister than him for sure. And, and, you know, he appointed the 12 that they would be with him. And even within that uh, subset and, and so our guys that are here, we, some of them we've had for years, we had them as college students and then they become uh, staff in our student ministry. And then they become, we call them candidates. Once you've raised your hand that you're going to go on a church planting team. And that's a two-year process. We have people all the time, and I'm sure you guys too, they say, well, we want to plant a, a salt network church. And we go, well, okay, <laughs> then you have to come here, <laughs> you know, yeah. or you have to go into one of our churches. And they yeah. go, well, we're, no, we're ready. We're ready to do it. We just want your resources and stuff. And we say, well, we just, we don't do it that way. So, yeah. uh, and, and they go, oh, Okay. Well, and it's just a different, a different, and, and sometimes these are great, great guys that they just don't feel like that they have the time to go through a two year process. Yeah. It, it's stri- the similarities between the conclusions you've come to and the ones we've come to are striking. Like, uh, yeah. we, we do or that, the, from the, 
partnership, you know, two guys going out and planting to, to what you just said there that, that I feel like those are like hallmarks of what we do and the relational emphasis on the, the network. I mean, yeah. we've, we've leaned into building relationships as the way of keeping our network together versus a lot of structure or a lot of kind of rules authority. Or authority try, or yeah. Try to use influence over authority. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think if, uh, it, you know, I, I was really impacted, honestly, two, two years ago when we came out there for the Hitchhiker event and uh, learned so much that I, I'm not even sure I can weed out a lot of our current, like, internal development strategy from the influence that that event had uh, on us. And and then we also had some similar starting points in terms of the you know, sort of transient community and the importance of relationships in the network. So someday people are going to look and be like, man, where did all that stuff at Pillar come from? And uh, if they look close enough, they'll we'll see uh, you guys' fingerprints on it. So we really Everything appreciate we it. Have, we stole from somebody, I'm sure. So, yeah, yeah, that's the way it goes. Nothing new. Yeah. And it just reminds me too, that, you know, you put two different people in two different places on the same task and they come to basically the same conclusions. Like, uh, you know, it's the context is different. Things look a little bit different, but there, you know, you got to create a system that, that works and functions and, you know, you run into the same barriers and you, you troubleshoot solutions and you end up with similar solutions. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, Troy, this has been a great conversation. Thank you very much. Uh, we run the gamut from talking to, you know, guys who are aspiring to plant and, 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 and then guys like you have been doing this for a lifetime. And so, so, so grateful for you and, um, thankful for your involvement in NAM and uh, helping other churches, uh, be successful at this work. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys and whatever we can do to help help others move forward that's that's what we want to do we're we're losing we're not winning this battle that's right yeah. and so all across north america especially on college campuses wow it's uh it's getting more and more and more desperate as you yeah. guys are aware and it's uh we need more planters every day 1002 we pray for god to send more laborers that's that's a prayer we need to pray more <laughs> so thanks troy yeah. Michael Crawford's new book called Don't Plant, Be Planted, Contrarian Observations About Starting a Church is out now. You can find it anywhere books are sold. And if you pick it up, you should be prepared to hear some sound and hard advice from an experienced church planter about the joys and sorrows and victories and defeats that come with this huge task of planting a new church. Now, Mike Crawford is a veteran. He's a practitioner. He's been out there planting a church in a hard city called Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, he's gotten the church started. It's thriving and it's multiplied and you need to read this book. He um, shares some very direct and heartfelt um, observations about church planting in a no holds barred kind of way. It's a short read. It's an easy read. I encourage you to pick it up. It's called Don't Plant, Be Planted, and you can find it anywhere books are sold. Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Today's episode of the Church Planting Podcast is sponsored by New City Network, the church planting ministry of McLean Bible. A special thanks to today's guest, Josh Taransky produced today's show. Nick Bashane was our editor. Thanks to Hudson Taransky, who provided administrative and web support for the program. And last but not least, thanks to you for listening all the way through to the very end of the Church Planting Podcast. 
If you'd like more information about our show, feel free to visit our website at www.churchplantingpodcast.org. There you can find all of our past episodes, as well as notes and links from today's show. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so be sure to check us out on the social. And tune in next week for another episode of the Church Planting Podcast.